Welcome to the Illuminate Recovery Podcast. We shed light on mental health issues, mental illness, and addiction recovery. Ways to cope, manage, and inspire. Beyond the self-care we will discuss, you may need the help of a licensed professional. My name is Kurt Neider. I'm a husband, a father, entrepreneur, a handyman, and a student of life. I avoid conflict, I deflect with humor, and I'm fascinated by the human experience. And I'm Shelly Mangum. I am a clinical mental health counselor, and my favorite role of all times is grandma. I am a seeker of truth, and I feel like life should be approached with tremendous curiosity. I ask the dumb questions. I fill in the gaps. The Illuminate Recovery Podcast is brought to you by Illuminate Billing Advocates. Make billing and collection simple with leader in substance abuse and mental health billing services. Verification and analysis of benefits, pre-authorizations, utilization management, accurate claim submission and management, denial and appeal management, and industry-leading reporting. Improve your practice's cash flow and your ability to help your clients with Illuminate Billing Advocates. Today on the podcast, we're super excited to have Dennis Berry. Um, Dennis has his own show, The Funky Brain Podcast, which is focused on addiction recovery and life mastery. He's a best-selling author, national speaker, um, and a coach, and has been um, sober since 2003. He's interviewed many entertainers and athletes. in on his podcast um he's also launched a free platform called life mastery school by dennis berry uh, which includes topics like addiction recovery love and relationships which i don't know anybody who doesn't struggle with love and relationships uh, mindfulness and meditation um and i can imagine dennis too i appreciate you being on the show but that after our after our conversation today a lot of people may want to reach out and utilize your strengths and some of the programs you've put together so i'm excited to have you today and and to kind of learn from you thank you shelly it's really great to be here i love talking about all those things it's a feeds my soul yeah it's incredible how we we were talking pre-show just how powerful the mind is and the way it works with our body and the way it interacts and and if we think we can isolate and bury emotions and, and function fully in life, I mean, that's just one example, um, it, it just isn't possible. We're, we're an integrated unit, and the goal is to integrate, not to, you know, not to separate. And continue to grow, I, I would say. Yeah, always yeah. A, a constant effort to grow and learn. I mean, I, I don't ever want to stop because that's, that's part of the fun. Yeah, when you, st- when you stop, you die. Yeah. It's so yeah, true. My grandmother told me that like 45 years ago. I remember her. She was real arthritic and uh, overweight. She didn't, she didn't take real good care of herself. And uh, at the time, she was probably in her late 70s or so. And she, uh, but she would still get up and walk around and move around. And, and, and I, I forget the circumstances of the conversation, but she said, when you stop moving, you die. And it always stuck in my head, you know, 40, 45 years later, that I just always think about that. It's always like, you know, sometimes it's like, I just want to be lazy, but then I think, why? It's like, time's ticking. What are you doing with your time? Are you chasing after your goals and dreams, or are you sitting around playing Xbox or watching Netflix? Right. So I get up and go. And doesn't that go along with that statistic, and I don't remember what it is now, but how the percentage of men that die 
when they retire, after they retire, like three years after they retire, because they stopped, they stopped whatever, right? And that that's just no life. We don't. There's no fulfillment there. Yeah, and not just physically, but and well, emotionally too. But you need to have purpose. Yeah. Like we need to wake up. And, the goal isn't to retire. I don't ever want to retire. I just the goal is to not have to work. And but we still need to create purpose every day. Otherwise, we drift into things like addiction or fear and emotional problems and uh, that's where those things happen but you know just constantly creating having purpose and if you don't have it create it you know there's always something that we love to do chase after it and those are things that we can control and manage where there's other things in our lives that happen that are hard and difficult and sometimes painful we can't control all of that we can control how we show up and we can control our direction, the direction of our lives, right? And so we've got to focus on where we can, where we have control. Yeah, absolutely. How, yeah, we're responsible about how we respond to those things because those things happen. That's just part of life. They happen to everybody uh, from us, and they happen to the Dalai Lama. They happen to everybody. It's just that, <laughs> you know, we all have expectations of how life's supposed to go, and then it rarely goes that way. So how do you respond? And that is really what determines your happiness, ultimately. Yeah, and there's a lot of people that would like to not take responsibility for their own happiness, but the truth of the matter, the core truth is we have to if we want to generate it and be intentional about it. Yeah, yeah, well said. Can't, ditto. Yeah. Well, Dennis, I know that you've done a lot of work and you've been in this industry a long time. Maybe let's, um, let's go back a little bit and... And figure out when your, you know, your story as a little boy changed from being a fireman or a policeman and or playing cowboys and Indians to substance abuse. You know, when did that become part of your, you know, your world and your awareness and and now where you're working in that industry so much? Yeah, well, I mean, if I go back to when I was five years old, since you brought up the little boy thing, you know, I remember, or I don't specifically remember this conversation, but I know my grandmother said to my mother. He worries like a little old man. <laughs> you know, at five years old, I was already full of all the, the worries and pains of the world, just like everybody else, the fears, insecurities, uh, what do people think about me, all, all those things. And, uh, and everybody has that, especially kids. And it, the world is this, this big, scary place. And some people develop coping skills along the way. And healthier coping skills but you fast forward to when I was 15 I started drinking and I was like like uh, what a relief you know I don't have to feel that way anymore and I don't have to feel anything so I uh, used that as my coping for the next 15 16 years and then you know the, the arrest the bankruptcies the broken relationships the health problems all that stuff and uh, but then you know I'm 31 years old at the time this was 18 years ago, you take away my coping skills. And now it's just me and that five-year-old brain who's still full of fear and insecurity that doesn't know how to, to handle the world. And so it, it, it's a, it was a scary place to be. And uh, there was a lot of growing up to do. And so I was able to, you know, figure a lot of that stuff out. And so now, uh, since it took me so long, I spent my life helping other people so hopefully it doesn't have to take as long or be as painful as my trip and that's why I do what I do and I've been helping people since 2003 it's the reason 
I wake up in the morning, it fills my soul and makes me happy. And, uh, you know, I've been fortunate enough to, to make a living out of what feeds my soul. And I think everybody can, if you chase after it and pursue it. Um, there's always a way to do that. Like, what feeds your soul? I guarantee there's a way to do that, help people, and make money. I guarantee it. Yeah. But you have to, like, you know, sometimes you have to, like, uh, you know, try a few different things before you find that one thing. And then with those cliches we always hear, like, find something you love to do and you never have to work a day in your life. And there's days that I work, 16, 20-hour days, but I don't care. It's just, it's not what I do. It's who I am. Yeah. Which is really powerful. It's a powerful thought, and um, you know, and it's it's out there, right? If if you're like I'm a self help reader, right? I love the the business books and the self help books, and you know, how should I be thinking and how should I be organizing my life and all of those different aspects. And it's still I still have to question because for me, I have a wandering heart, right? It's like I get into something and I really love it and it's exciting, and then I'm like, okay that's just kind of not so exciting anymore. I want to do something else, right? And I'm like, I have to kind of hold myself in a place where this is still exciting. There's still a lot of work to do here. Kind of calm down. Don't go wandering when, you know, until you're ready to go wandering. So, I, you know, so we all have different places. Um, how do you, how did you decide what made you passionate? What, what didn't feel like work every day? Well, again, it was, uh, I'm a, I'm a seeker. You know, so I'm always looking. You, you said the self-help books. I wrote one. So it, it, I didn't even plan on writing it. It was just like, oh, I have all these thoughts in my head, and I was walking the dog, going on long walks with the dog, and I would listen to these inspirational things. And I've, I had been speaking at the time, doing a lot of motivational speaking. And I was like, I can write a book just like these people. Like, I, I have a, a fun story to tell. And, and so I just started doing it. And... Uh, and it turned into this book. I didn't sit down and say, I need to write a book. It wasn't like a lifelong plan that I had. It's just kind of something that happened. But uh, I just love doing it. I love seeking and learning new answers, growing to new height and levels of awareness. And then I love when I'm talking to people and seeing the lights go on. I love when they realize oh, they, when they've created enough purpose to where there's no room for drinking in their life. I love when they find ways to help other people and be of service and um, and just have uh, more purpose in their lives and feel good about themselves, that their whole lives turn around. You know, a lot of the reasons I, I see a lot of people that work in the corporate jobs and they lay in bed in the morning with the sheets over their head, scared to get out of bed. And I challenge you, it's because you're not doing what you were meant to be doing. And that's why we, we get so full of fear and anxiety and, with, and then you need Xanax or whatever to help you cope with that when really maybe we just need to shift the, the way we're doing things and find what it is we're meant to do here. And for some, it's a big, scary question, but I guarantee you that our, all of our purpose here is to be of service. It's to help others uh, have a better ride. And... Uh, there's a way for us all to do that. And some, for some people, it's holding a door open. For some people, it's creating a business to uh, employ other people that need jobs. And everybody has a different path. But if you can find what that path is, I guarantee you won't be laying in bed in the morning with the covers over your head. You'll kick those covers off 
and want to hit the ground running. And that's the difference. And so I was able to find that. And so hopefully the reason I have a podcast and wrote a book and coach people is like if I can help people see that they don't have to live in that fear, live in that pain. Um, Dennis, I've got another question for you. Um, you talked about your, you've, I've heard you talk about your mother and your grandmother. Talk about what their influence was like and kind of your life growing up that, that may have lent to that really worried five-year-old. I've never been asked that question. I've done many hundreds of these. (laughs) You know, I, I'm not really sure. It's a really interesting question. I, I think that, uh, we are, uh, as much as we don't want to, we end up turning into our parents. And I think that we spend a lot of time fighting that. And uh, I didn't even realize until later in life that I that I, I was angry about any of the way I was brought up or anything. You know, my parents were divorced, and I was seven when that happened. And I, I remember seeing a therapist years ago, and I was like, I, he said, talk about the divorce. I was like, I don't think that affected me. He's like, how can it not affect you? And, you know, I didn't realize it at the time, but it really did. I guess I, if I could talk not so much about them, but it, you know what I realized later on, and this wasn't a little into sobriety, it was like, you know, because back then in the 70s and 80s, we didn't have shared custody like they do now. It wasn't like week on or two weeks on, two weeks off, you know, two weeks with mom, two weeks with dad, whatever. I only saw my dad like four days a month, and, and he's a great guy great dad but I, I didn't get to see him much and there was nobody around to teach me how to be a man and so what happened was over the years and I didn't realize this till later is that I started latching on to boys and men along the way to teach me how to be a man which is actually quite insightful and really cool except I latched on to a bunch of idiots <laughs> along the way. and I was like wow this guy's cool because he gets stoned and this guy's cool because he does lots of cocaine and this guy he has a funny laugh smart ass and so I I kind of picked up on the you know I don't like to label things right or wrong all the time but I picked up on some some harmful behaviors I guess I should say and and that's kind of the way my life went so I went down that path for a long time and uh, I, I think a lot of people do I think we're influenced heavily by everything we do and I think that just having higher levels or better levels of awareness helps you uh, decide which direction to go. Which of the marketing am I going to listen to? Which is, which is helpful and which is bullshit? And it's hard to decipher that if you're stuck in your you know, rigid lifestyle the way we were conditioned to live. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know how that influenced me. Growing up, I know I grew up with my mom and my sister. I was the only boy in the house. So I... So um, I learned to keep the toilet seat down. <laughs> I bet you did real quick. <laughs> yeah. and my, and my grandma, my mom, and my sister, and me. So I, I have no problems leaving the seat down. But, um, I mean, I, I, I was really fortunate. You hear about some kids with horrible stories of abuse and stuff like that. And I didn't have any of that. I always had everything I ever needed and wanted. I was loved and cared for. Um, but uh, it just went, I just took some wrong turns along the way. Uh, but I've been able to, to come out the other side okay. 
And I think I love the way you talk about about your childhood because you're very careful not to put blame anywhere because, you know, it's easy to say, well, if my mom wasn't like this or if my dad wasn't like this or if they didn't get divorced, then I wouldn't have. But the problem with that approach is that we put blame where we have pain, right? We send it out because we don't want to hold on to it and then we can't do anything with it. So the part that I love is that you're not putting blame out there. You're just observing and you're just noting and you're not suggesting that there's a right or a wrong but that this was my situation and and then becoming aware of how it did impact you because even in the best situation right in the best environments where you know where we and then again this is a judgment as a society of the the perfect way to grow up even in those situations where you might have you know affluence and opportunities all over the place Addiction still resides there and problems still reside there and relationship problems are there. And so being able to take ownership of that, again, allows you to move forward, be aware of it, and then choose to do it differently. Because we do, we spend, I think we spend our life trying to heal from what we didn't know. We all did the best that we did, but we only, we only know what we know. And as a 15 year old young man, you don't realize you get more choices than you have. You think you have to you know, you have to pick and choose whatever's right in front of you. We don't know. I mean, I've got, I've got a son getting married, and I would love to tell him all of the relationship things I've learned along the way, but it just doesn't work because they don't have any frame of reference. They don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, you know, he came up and he said, he said, Mom, do you have any advice for me? I'm going to ask her to marry me. And I said, Honey, I have given you every speck of advice that I could give you, and now I'm just going to support and love you. It's going to be hard. And, and I'm all in with you right now, right? Because you've already decided, so there's no reason to talk about the other stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well said. You know, and those are a lot of awarenesses that you're talking about, and that's just wisdom, some might call. And that really comes with, with mindfulness and meditation. And, you know, I, I bring that up because, it, you know, I don't blame uh, because we're all responsible for our own circumstances. And, you know, when you can really understand that on a deep level, that's when life really begins. Mm-hmm. And I had a hard time understanding that. And that I didn't even really ha- hear that and have to apply it into my life for, until a couple of years into sobriety where somebody said that. I am responsible for every circumstance in my life. And you, there's definitely pushback on that. Like, how can a child who was abused be responsible for that? Well, you you know, that's awful, you know, you're not responsible for that, but we're responsible for how we cope with life now because it's in the past and, you know, living a life of mindfulness and, and practicing meditation on a regular basis, we learn certain attitudes or attributes. And, uh, you know, one of those being acceptance and acceptance is crucial. Acceptance doesn't necessarily mean understanding or approval, like they say in 12 step rooms or anything, but it doesn't mean that you have to um, uh, sit still and take whatever's been given you and not move forward or make changes. It just means that I can, I, until I can accept that things are the way they are, then it's hard for me to really know where I stand. And if I don't know where I stand, it's hard to take that first step towards wherever it is I want to go. So acceptance is just such an important tool. And uh, just in living, you know, we're talking about sobriety but, or addiction or whatever you want to talk about, but just in life in general, pain is a another 
thing that a lot of people have to deal with. And there's, there's ways of handling chronic pain or uh, chronic grief or sadness or anything, but uh, it's not until you accept that this is my circumstance that you can do something about it. And once you do, life really gets better, regardless of circumstances. It's that idea. I was talking to somebody the other day and they were expressing how much anxiety they were feeling, these feelings of anxiety as they get up in the morning and throughout the day, but really bad in the morning. And, 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 you know, and they're talking about, you know, I've been told that I got to sit with it. I just have to hold his space for it. And he's like, I want to do anything but that. I want to get it out of my body. I don't want to feel it anymore. And I'm like, so, so you can't, you can't even hold a space and just be curious about it. And I think that's part of it is that resistance of, I don't want this to be part of my life, but the reality is, it is part of your life. Why don't you start to understand it a little bit more and feel about it differently, think about it differently, and have some, like you said, acceptance. This is yeah. right now, so it's not good or bad. Let's just look at it, right? Mm, yeah, and really, like, that's amazing. Like, what, what you were just saying is, like, I don't want to feel, I don't want to think about those thoughts, and that's where addiction comes in. So addiction, the drugs, the alcohol, those the drugs and alcohol aren't the problem. Mm -mm. It's what I'm using to cope with the problem, which is my thinking. And I, that I don't want to feel. That I don't want to feel that way. I don't want to think those thoughts. Or I don't know how to feel my feelings. Or I don't know how to handle my thinking. So I'm going to drink instead. Or I'm going to watch porn. You know, it's funny. When, when we, the biggest thing that we deal with in the world of recovery as a coach um, or whatever is cross addiction. Mm -hmm. So it's like, and in AA and 12 step programs everywhere, they talk about, oh, it's okay if you stop drinking and keep smoking or eating a pound of chocolate every day. But that's bullshit. Like the best defense against the cravings and the relapses is a healthy immune system. And if you're, you know, pumping smoke and sugar into your body, it's weakening your immune system. And doing that for an extended period of time, it, it, all those are cross addiction. So you're not really dealing with the root of the problem, which is my thinking, which is something that may have happened in childhood, which is that I'm not getting to where I am financially. Why don't we work on that? When we work on the real root of the problem, there's no space in my life for, you know, watching six hours of Netflix every day or watching porn or eating cake or shopping with money I don't have. Like if we deal with the root of the problem, that's where real change happens. And that's when you really start to enjoy life at a different level. So Dennis, it's for us, you know, we've, we've been down this journey. We've looked at ourselves. We know we've got to continue to look at ourselves, hold a space, be mindful. And it's, it seems so much, it's so much easier to gather that information than to utilize it, right? To, to really put it into practice and do what we know we need to do. When, when you're working with somebody that's, you know, new in the recovery world and they've, you know, been, they've dealt with addiction, how do you help get them to think differently about those coping strategies and what they're utilizing? How do you get them to slow that down? And, and like you said, right, you felt like all of your coping strategies were taken away when you couldn't drink anymore. What, what are you supposed to do now? And now the discomfort is just, you know, overwhelming. What takes you past that and allows you to get past that, that part of the recovery process? Yeah, great question. And that's where the term life mastery comes in. Because uh, it's not just, and you know, most people fail in sobriety because, well, it's hard. So we don't like hard. But secondly is that we remove the harmful behaviors 
but we need to replace those harmful behaviors with healthy behaviors and healthy beliefs and healthy ways of living, healthy coping strategies. And uh, so that's what life mastery is. So, you know, when we start, we look at every area of our life. So um, I know you're struggling with uh, drinking too much or getting stoned every day. That's fine. Let's start here. Tell me how you feel about your body and your health. Tell me how are your career, your finances, your relationship, how's your spiritual life? Let's look at your life. And then where do you want to be in each of those areas? So my body's like this. My health is like this. I want it to be like this. My family relationships are like this. I want it to be like this. My social life is like this. I want it to be like this. Now we're creating goals, right? And so what we do is we go in and we look at each one of those, which one of those goals. And we only work on one at a time because we, otherwise we get overwhelmed and we either quit or we go back to our old behavior, which is deeply embedded in our brains. So when we start working on these things and having accountability, like a coach or a mentor or somebody uh, to hold your feet to the fire, to, to keep you on that path is just vital for success. And um, so what we're constantly working on that goal and creating specific intentional action steps to take every day. And sometimes it's huge monumental things and sometimes it's tiny little steps, but continuing to move in the right direction. And when we start doing those things, our health improves, our physical health, our emotional health, our relationships, our finances, all these things start to improve and there's no space for harmful behaviors and beliefs in my life anymore. And that's how you change. And that's why, that's what I do as a, as a coach. And I think that's what all coaches are supposed to do. And, um, you know, hopefully that's been your experience if, if you've ever had a coach or anybody listening, but that's what we do. And uh, it's about creating a new life. But what I find with addicts and alcoholics is, and I, I try not to use those terms anymore, but everybody's familiar with them, is that the, the part of my job isn't to tell you what to do, it's to lead you down the right path. And you make the decisions, you take the actions. But what I find is that there's, like when I take somebody who's uh, um, really struggling and lost in life, and doesn't know where to go, and you say something like, go get a job, and which sounds like, you know, for you and I, it's like, oh, I have money problems, I need to get a job. You know, that sounds like a logical step to take, but in between you sitting there and having a job, there's probably maybe 20 steps, and we don't know those steps. So we need to really define step by step what it is I need to do, and that's what I do. And that's how your life improves, but you know, ask questions. I had a kid ask me a few months back, like, Dennis, he knew me, he knew, he knew who I am, what I did. He goes, Dennis, if you have one tip for a kid who's starting out, what would it be? And I said, uh, continue to ask questions and stay curious. Because when I think I know everything, when I think I know the rules, the rules change. And most of the time, I don't know the rules. I don't know everything. So I'd rather ask questions than be lost. And my old me was lost, and which is why I drank all the time, because that was familiar. That way of life became familiar. So instead of trying to figure out how to get there, I could stay with these other people and stay here because it's comfortable. Although it seems comfortable, but it's really not. Yeah. Well, and it, it's that shift from surviving, right? Every day just surviving and doing the bare minimum and what you have to to live 
as opposed to thriving and living and having that purpose that you talked about and and feeling like you're contributing and you're making a difference and and I think it does it comes back to serving others if we're just serving ourselves it does not at least for me I don't know maybe other people have that but for me that doesn't have near the value to me as it does of serving and making a difference in someone else's lives and I benefit from that right I get to it's a win-win because because I win and they win too yeah I mean and that's ancient wisdom is like all of our suffering uh, this is Buddha stuff from 2,500 years ago. There's nothing new here. This is the human condition. I didn't make any of this shit up. This isn't Dennis's rules. These are laws of the universe. You can mess with them all you want, but you'll find that they're true. But it's our attachments are the source of all of our suffering. And most of the things I'm attached to, I'm not just talking about my car and my house, but the way people are supposed to behave, uh, the way politicians are supposed to act, and how I'm supposed to look, how much money I'm supposed to have, all these things. And it's because I'm focused too much on me. And you know that selfishness that we talk about. And when I live a life of service, where I'm, I'm helping other people in any shape or form, then I'm not so much focused on myself and how things aren't going the way I need them to or people aren't behaving the way I need them to. Um, then things, and I continue to take steps in the right direction towards my goal, then uh, I'm not as stressed out. I'm not as fearful. I'm not as angry. I'm not as insecure. I'm not worried about what people think about me. Like all, all those things happen when you're helping other people enjoy their day better. Yeah. And, and that stuff starts to meld away. It doesn't really matter what you think of me because I'm going to make a difference in this person's life regardless of what you think of me. And so it really helps to shift what we're thinking about and the rewards that we get, right? Because it's incredibly rewarding to see somebody get what they want and, and be able to help them get what they want. Even if you don't agree with it, helping somebody get what they want, is it just feels good, right? It's what makes the world go around. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and helping, like I said earlier, in any capacity. Sometimes it's giving somebody money. Sometimes it's holding the door open. It, you know, whatever it is, it's like, you know, once you have that level of awareness where you're like, you know, I'm, my purpose is just to be of service and smile. Sometimes it's just smiling at people. You know, we've all heard that story. It's like you smile. I, I, was, I smiled at this kid and, or uh, something like that. And, and he went home. This is a paraphrased story. And uh, he wrote an email saying, thank you so much for smiling at me today. I was thinking about killing myself later. Yeah. You know, and it's like you never know what you say or do, how that's going to affect somebody, positively or negatively. So, you know, just smile and say hi to every single person you come in contact with. It's interesting because you'll see how many unhappy people there really are. When you go to the grocery store, smile at everybody. You come in contact with it. Even unhappy people will smile back. Yeah. But you see how many unhappy people there are, like people that are constantly frowning or don't say hi. Or, you know, you say hi to somebody, like, what do you mean by that? <laughs> go, oh, God, hi. How, how you doing? Yeah. I hope you're having a great day. Uh, but anyway. But we get so caught up in our own lives that that everybody else seems to kind of fall away. So I love that. I love that approach and that thought process because people do, they're, they're intense. They feel anxiety. They feel depression. 
they're out there trying to survive and just an, a small interaction makes all the difference. I heard somebody share a, a study, a study someone did where um, they had a panhandler out there asking for money. I don't remember the situation, but let's just say it was a panhandler and they were asking for money and, um, and then they changed it to where not, they didn't just ask for money. They touched the person somewhere like on the shoulder or something. And almost every time there was some sort of physical connection, they gave them money. And without that touch, they didn't give them any money. It's just the power of connection and, and really touching someone and not necessarily physically, but really connecting with someone to where they know you see them. It's yeah, powerful. powerful stuff. But yeah, as humans, we need that interaction. You know, some people need more touch, but we all need um, it, some sort of interaction on some level. There's introverts, extroverts. Surprisingly, I'm an introvert. A lot of people think I'm an extrovert. I'm a speaker, a podcast guy. I'm always talking to people. But that all, all that stuff sucks my energy. So yeah. when I'm alone, I, I get filled up. That's what introvert, extrovert means. And it's often misunderstood. But I still need that contact with people. We all do. Uh, that's just human beings. We're social by by nature, and isolating really is the devil. You know, mm -hmm. if there is the devil, uh, I don't know if there is or not. But if there is, it's isolation, right? And when you're uh, isolating, like my tendency as who I wasn't that in my previous life, my crazy, wild, drug addict, alcoholic guy, was uh, when things get difficult, hard, or uh, whatever. My tendency is to go home by myself and try to figure it all out. <laughs> and that keeps me stuck and sick for a long period of time. It's not until I ask questions and reach out and talk to people that I realize that we're all in this together. You know, the problems start when I think I'm separate. We're all one, right? When they, they say there's that oneness, right? That God, it, we are all God collectively. The problems happen when I think I'm separate from everybody else. That's the problem. It's when so I true. rejoin, then the problems aren't what they, I thought they once were. It's an amazing concept that, you know, I've heard people talk about it. And matter of fact, I talked to um, Jeffrey Olson. Jeffrey Olson was on the podcast here. It's been quite a few months ago. And he had a, a near-death experience, you know, where he, he kind of shared. And one of his comments was, we are all connected really on a really deep level we are all connected and what one person does has to affect everybody else even if you don't know it it's because we're all connected and I'm still trying to wrap my head around you know what's that somebody's experience when they say that what do they really mean and when he was saying that what did that really mean and it's quite fascinating that we are we're just so interconnected and and small little things impact us so greatly I mean like you said the story you shared you know, this kept me from this kept me from committing suicide. I was going to take my own life, and this kept me. Your smile kept me from doing that. It's profound. It really is. Yeah, I, it's the oneness. We're all one. Just stay connected with people. And it's funny because I mean, if you look at the the whole universe, which is infinite and endless, there's no beginning, there's no end. It just is. And when when you look at it as a whole. Everything that's happening in the world, you know, we're part of that. And it, it all is happening for a purpose. If you, look, if you think of it as like a play or a TV show or something like that, all the characters are necessary. Even the bad people that are doing 
the bad things, whatever that is, uh, the good people, the bad people, they're all necessary. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in the play. They wouldn't be here. But they're in the play. So what's the purpose? So, I mean, once you, that goes back to acceptance, all right? Well, the bad people are here. It would, in my opinion, the only real bad people are, like, the politicians. <laughs> so, but they're doing whatever it is they need to do. And it's like, let them do their part of the play. Let them do their role. And I'm just going to, I'm free to have a good time. You know, to do what it is I was meant to, to do here in this short time. Yeah. Short speck of time here on this planet. It's so true. I love the way you put that, is that it is such a short time. And, and I like the way you talk about this bigger picture of creating a bigger image of really what the purpose is of what we're doing and how we're all interconnected, because it changes our focus. It changes what we do every day when we can see a bigger picture. I'm curious, as you talk about some of these ideas, what can you pinpoint some of those pivotal moments in your life um, that that, you know, I hear people who are in recovery and their recovery story, and they often will say, this person was that pivotal moment, or, you know, this was a God moment because, you know, this happened and it, and it had to be the hand of God, or this was a voice spoke to me, right? People talk about these pivotal moments in there that got them into recovery and changed their lives. Can you pinpoint uh, any of those pivotal moments for you? Well, I mean, there were so many, and that's the thing. Like, And I want to... I always emphasize this to people when, like, when they see me, they say this, uh, you know, happy, successful, healthy, devastatingly handsome, <laughs> good guy. Um, uh, but what they don't see, you know, they see this guy who's been sober for 18, almost 19 years. What they don't see is the hundreds of failed attempts leading up to that one trip to rehab. To, they don't see the, the financial ruin, the broken relationships, the health problems. I was 70 pounds heavier than I am now. I, they, they don't see all of the pain, heartache, and the, um, the trials that I had leading up to that point. You know, or the first couple of years after that point. You know, it's a, it's a long road ahead. So, you know, I can say leading up to that, there were over 20 drunken car accidents. I drove my car into a house. I used to roll my truck over. I lived in a very rural area up in the Northeast. And I would, we were, I would roll my truck back over and we, I would drive it home and wake up in the morning with dried blood on my face. And I was, I mean, I was really a different person than I am now. And uh, so there were lots of those moments. Uh, at the end, I was just, there was no more money, no more resources. The parents cut me off. It was just me. And uh, I got fired from my job, which I was kind of proud of that I had that job. And um, I had a girl come over, a, a girlfriend that I had, which was amazing because I was really gross. And she was really amazing to uh, be part of my lifestyle. And she came over and she opened the door to my apartment. And I was laying there. I was up for like seven days. And I was passed out in my clothes. I peed my pants. And she I, she looked at me. And she's like, well, this isn't going to work. And I just started crying. And I said, I, I can't stop. And she got online on that old dial-up <laughs> and, uh, that we had 18, 19 years ago. And she found me a rehab to go to. And two days later, I was there. And that was April 8, 2003. That's my sobriety date. And... Um, 
you know, so I, I mean, there were many pivotal moments and I've had pivotal moments in sobriety where my emotional sobriety, which is really the goal. It's not about not drinking. I don't think about drinking. Every once in a while I do, and that's okay because it, I don't entertain those thoughts. I don't entertain any more thoughts of suicide or depression. I don't allow those to affect my thinking. They come in one side and go right out the other. Um, and so I've had pivotal moments in, in sobriety of heartache, of broken relationships, financial problems. Just because you stop drinking doesn't mean it's unicorns and rainbows all day. It just means I don't have to deal with the drinking anymore. But we still have the human condition to deal with. Mm. And it's a daily grind. But, you know, when, once you develop healthy habits, beliefs, and behaviors, then uh, it makes the, the road much less calm. And what happened to that, to that girlfriend that got you into treatment? She's great. It's been a long time. Uh, eventually, uh, like six months later, we broke up, which was really sad. But, um, you know, I was incapable of having relationships and um it was it was it's kind of a sore subject still so. <laughs> uh, and i and i feel bad but the way it, the truth was I, I just wasn't ready for relationships and you know relationships one of the hardest things you ever do in your life and i was incapable of, of that and uh so i had a lot of growing up to do you know when, when i said remember i was five years old with those feelings and when I was 15 and I started drinking, I was basically still that five-year-old with no coping skills. And then I started drinking, which stunted my growth right then. So at 31 years old, I had the brain of an emotionally immature five-year-old. And uh, it, it, there's a lot of growing to do. And remember, it's 100 miles into the woods and it's 100 miles back out. But the good news is, the good news, and this is really important to know, and if you're listening, keep this in mind, is that the trip out doesn't have to take as long or be as painful as that trip into the woods. There are solutions. There are ways out to help you enjoy life better and to make the road a lot less bumpy. Mm. Well, and, and maybe, you know, on our ending, on our ending note, we should talk a little bit about, like you said, relationships are the hardest thing that we do. And I, and it's fascinating that that's the very place we seem to be driven to as we, you know, we gain sobriety and all of a sudden we want to be in a relationship, right? And they just seem to pop up everywhere. And, <clears throat> you know, and the advice usually is, you know, you should not be in a relationship for a year or maybe two, maybe a hundred. Maybe you should wait for a hundred years to be, you know, in a relationship because yeah. they can cause relapse. They can be very painful. They can, you know, there's a lot of hard stuff. And if you don't have the capacity, the coping skills, and the, the skills to manage a relationship in a healthy way, which I still am not sure if I do, right? I still, like, we falter in these relationships because we're so different. Um, but talk a little bit about some of the things that you've learned, because I heard you say this is still kind of a sore spot. And so, you know, without having to talk about that, do talk about what you have learned about healthy relationships and what a, what a healthy relationship can look like and how you grow that. Sure, great question, and I should say, like, half of my practice is love and relationship coaching, marriage uh, coaching, and uh, about half is uh, addiction recovery, and the reason is when I started doing this a long time ago, it was mostly just addiction recovery for men, and then what would happen was women would come and say, can you fix my brother, husband, dad, uh, cousin, or whoever, 
but you can't fix somebody who's not ready to be fixed or doesn't want to be helped. So I started working with women and teaching them about self-love, self-care, self-respect, uh, boundaries, boundaries with consequences, and um, you know, taking care of themselves. Remember, there's a difference between being selfish and taking care of yourself, and it's important to know. And then I started working with the couples, and uh, I've had extensive training and a lot of experience with that. Um, great success stories. Uh, always, and I'm going to talk about this always, only because it pertains to the question. When I work with couples, it's always separate, never together. We never, the th that old system of the three of you, the, the couple sitting on the couch with the therapist doesn't work. It's an old, decades old broken system. Somebody wants to be there more than the other, somebody's more talkative, somebody's angrier, there's a big crisis, whatever it is. But the only way it works is that when I work with them, we always work separately. And you would work on improving yourself. And then you bring your improved selves back into the relationship. It's the only way it works because we can't fix anybody but ourselves. And you can't change anybody but ourselves. And so you have to work on uh, you only. And uh, then you can come back into the relationship. So that being said, you know, the, the topic, I think, which you never said the word, is really codependency. So which is the biggest addiction in the whole world. Because we don't like being alone, especially as uh, um, addictive personalities. Uh, we are also addicted to having people around. Or we're not good at feeling or thinking. So if I have somebody else there, I don't have to focus on my own thoughts and feelings. So we tend to uh, look for outside things. That's what the drugs, the alcohol, the mindless scrolling on the phone, the Netflix, the porn, the shopping, the chocolate cake. Those are all distractions from feeling. So is having another person or sex. Sex is a great distraction because sex is awesome because you're only focused on sex. So if we could bring that focus into other areas like our professional lives or um, whatever it is, then we'll become way more successful. If you can have laser focus as if you were just when you're having sex, then uh, you would be way more productive and successful. So. Uh, uh, that's the answer to the problem. Like relationships are one of the hardest things to do, is because most of us aren't ready for relationships. And uh, as you get older, there's a lot of uh, divorce and separation, broken relationships. So a lot of people get out of there and bounce right into the next relationship without healing from the previous relationship. The problem there is we really need to take time off, and that time, depending on the length of the relationship can be anywhere from at least a few months to up to a year. You know, if you're in a 20-year marriage, usually when a 20-year marriage ends, there's like sexual problems, financial problems, there's health problems, there's all these problems. Divorce, courts, lawyers, anger, resentment, fear, insecurity. And if you don't work on those things, you drag those all right into the next relationship. And so when we work, uh, that's why we need to work separately, you know, and work on our where am I sensitive to criticism? Where am I emotionally unavailable, which is where all that behavior falls under? But uh, where am I passive aggressive? Where did I cheat? As Was there cheating? Like all these types of harmful behaviors are embedded in our subconscious mind. And they have been since we were five years old. And if we don't work on eradicating those behaviors, they go from relationship to relationship. And usually people blame the partners 
the broken relationship. And there's probably some, uh, you know, prob- there's probably some blame to, to be had on both sides. But really, it's like we can only fix ourselves. And if you're not emotionally in a place to have a relationship, it's not going to work. It's going to be really hard. It might be fun to have really fun, passionate, awesome sex for three months, and then you're just stuck with this person who is, isn't really what you're looking for, and now you're like obligated to have this 20-year relationship that's miserable mm-hmm. and leads to more cross-addiction. Anyway, I'm going to talk about that. That's a uh, whole other podcast. <laughs> well, it's fantastic, too. I love you bring up some of those concepts. Um, the idea that, that you're not doing couples therapy with couples together is... I haven't heard a lot of people talk like that, and I'm sure that there's some controversy, and some would say, yeah, no, I don't think, I don't agree with that, but but I'm going to sit here and say I agree with that 100%, because those dynamics are going on in a room filled with, with more than two people, and at the very core, you know, you might think that it's your husband or your wife that's the problem, and if we can go into therapy, we can fix them, but if you are required to look at your part and take responsibility for your part because if there's two people, there's two parts and you've got to take responsibility. When you are in a space where you take that responsibility and own that, that's when change happens, not when the blame thing, right? I love Brene Brown's definition of blame as a way to discharge our pain and discomfort, right? We're going to give it to someone else, which is the most disempowering act that we can do is to give away our power to someone else because it's their fault and then you you have no power to do anything about it you expect them to and they don't either because it belongs with you and it's that is such a dis an unhealthy pattern that so many of us run that i I, anyway i appreciate what you said and i i'm going to endorse it because i think it's absolutely true i've worked with women who have problems with their husbands and when we work rarely do we talk about the husband it's about what's going on for that individual and and so it's it's profound i love it and i've seen that very i've seen that be very true in other people's lives so i love that concept i love that you brought that up thank you so much yeah and the other, you know when you get the couples that go in and it's effective for some people but really only about 10% of the people the couples that it's really about 10% success rate and usually what happens is when you go to a, a marriage counselor, or therapist, whatever you want to call it, um, there's usually a crisis, right? There's a divorce is imminent, the, one of them has had it with something. And so you go to the, uh, the therapist. And uh, so there's the crisis. So you go for a couple months, and during that time, right, some of the crisis has passed, some of the power of the crisis has been removed. And so you've also maybe learned a couple tools along the way how to cope or communicate. And so then it gets expensive, so you stop and say, sure, we'll just figure it out on our own. So, and it works for like a week. And then because we're driven by our subconscious thinking, which is deeply in program uh, in our brains for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, we revert immediately back to our old behavior, which is what caused the crisis in the first place. Because we never took the time to really work on ourselves and the blame continues to happen over and over again. Hmm. Oh, that's so true. And, and it, just listening to you talk about that pattern, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's absolutely the way that works. And, and then the, you know, that definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and, and expecting different results, right? Is you, you can't, you just can't do it. So, 
Super profound. I love the concepts that you've shared today because they are truth. It's just like you said, right? They're truth and those principles that stand the test of time that are true yesterday. They're going to be true tomorrow. We've got to apply those and learn them and understand how to implement them in our lives if we want to experience that same level of happiness, uh, purpose, and meaning. So thank you. I, I appreciate you coming on and and, sh- and sharing that, I can, you know, I'm thinking, oh, you know what? I got some people I need to refer out to Dennis so that Dennis can do some do some coaching with them, right? Um, because because you, what you're teaching is correct. What you're sharing is correct. And what you're trying to help people understand is, is spot on. So I love that. Um, maybe maybe um, in parting, maybe leave some contact information. What's the best way for people to connect with you and to learn more? The very best way is at DennisBerry.com. And from there, you can buy the book, schedule a free session with me, you can get to the podcast, and you can watch Life Mastery School, which, uh, as you mentioned earlier, that's a series of free videos. There's uh, three different sections. I'm, we're even implementing workbooks now on addiction recovery, uh, mindfulness and meditation, love and relationships, and health and wellness series is coming out, I think, in two weeks. And um, so you can do everything from... DennisBerry.com. And like I said, schedule a free session. And we'll just talk for a little bit and if it's, see if it's a good fit. Oh, I love it. I love it. I, I hope I hope a lot of people are listening and, and want to reach out because you definitely have something to share. And, and you know, and, and I even think about this. You know, you might go to one therapist and you might learn from them what they have to offer. But then let's try some new information because you're not going to get everything from this from one relationship, right? You've got to you got to look at gaining knowledge from a group of people, right? We're all connected. We all have different perspectives and different expertise. So fantastic. And I love that you offer some of that stuff for free because, you know, it's, it's good to get your feet wet, but it's so good. For me, I don't process so well by myself. I need someone to witness my pain. I need somebody to help me get out of my head and out of my logic and get into my feelings. And that sometimes requires another person. So um, so I just endorse that, that connection and, and working with somebody that knows what they're doing. So thanks for what you do. Appreciate it. Thank you, Shelly. I appreciate it. What a great talk. It's nice to meet you and see you and, uh, hopefully we'll do it again sometime. I would love it. I would love it. Appreciate it.